Welcome to Script to Screen's Talks podcast. Script to Screen is a charitable organisation dedicated to developing the craft and culture of storytelling for the screen in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Part of our annual programme, the Talk series, brings the creative community together to hear inspirational speakers delve into their creative process, craft, philosophy, or the broader creative landscape. In November 2017, producer Emma Slade spoke to film distributors Tony Bald, Andrew Cousins, Nigel Forsyth and Kelly Rogers about what they look for in a project and why, including genre and story elements, creative team, and at what stage of development they like to get on board. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome. My name is Emma Slade and I'm, I'm an independent producer based here in Auckland and I've just produced a film called The Changeover, which has been released here in New Zealand. And we're... <laughs> And we're now selling it overseas, and I've just come back from AUFM. And it's no surprise that there is such a lot of people here because distributors are such an important part of our business. And really, I'm sure all of these guys would agree, so much of it is about audience. So first of all, I'd like um, our panel here to introduce themselves. Guys, if you could please say who you are, who you're working for, where you're based, and why you got into distribution. Nigel, over to you. Uh, well, my name's Nigel Forsyth. I am uh, the GM of Sales and Acquisitions for Studio Canal here in New Zealand. I look after their operation here. Uh, I'm based here in Auckland, and I really don't know why I came into distribution, to be honest. <laughs> it, it is a trick question. Um, look, and why wouldn't you come into distribution when, when we look at um, so much great product? It's just a great environment to be in. Uh, Tony Bald. I work uh, for Paramount Pictures. I'm the National Sales Manager. Um, it was a natural progression from cinemas to distribution for me. Uh, Nigel and I actually started working about two or three months apart in Christchurch. I looked after the Rialto cinemas hired by Mr. Kelly Rogers. So um, it's just an industry that's fantastic and this was a natural progression from cinemas. Just testing this mic. Um, my name's Andrew Cousins. I work for Madman. I've been at Madman for about six years now. Started working in the DVD side of the business about for three years and then moved into theatrical. And I've been working across theatrical and DVD for the last three years. Um, why did I get into distribution? I guess there's a lot more boring industries to work in than the movie business. So, yeah. I mean, I, I look after all the publicity and marketing for all of our DVD and theatrical releases. Yeah, that's generally what I get up to. Well, uh, kia ora. Um, I've just prepared a little bit of a, um, a spiel here, and uh, it's a little bit longer than these guys, so uh, <laughs> bear with me, if you will. Um, yeah, I'm Kelly Rogers. I'm the CEO of Rialto Distribution. Uh, that's a 100% New Zealand-owned and operated company. Um, I've been involved in independent film distribution since 1989, and also running cinemas since 1987. Uh, like most aspects of the film world, it's a collaborative process. And I've been fortunate enough to work with some great teams of people with whom I've distributed over 1,100 films. Over the course of the last 20 years, we've distributed over 25 New Zealand films, and this has meant working with some amazingly talented filmmakers, whether they be writers, directors, or producers. To name some of these films and the people involved, there was Scarfies with Robert and Duncan Sarkis, which grossed over 1.2 million back in 1999. Uh, two films with Leanne Pauley and Matthew Metcalf, the Top Twins movie and Beyond the Edge, which combined grossed just under 3 million at the local box office. Also Bryn Evans with Hip Operation, which grossed 450,000 here. Gary of the Pacific did around 300,000 here. But we got a big Netflix sale, so worth mentioning that success isn't always about the theatrical result. And also in the past, we've worked with Vincent Ward on Rain with the, of the Children, Jared Johnston on Housebound, and Simon Mark Brown on The Catch. We were also instrumental in helping guide Mahana to a $1.2 million box office result for E1, which is a, um, the large multinational uh, Canadian-based company. A few years back, so we handled the, their films. And they also entrusted, entrusted us to look after two little boys, which took $800,000 locally. Currently, we have on release the delightful No Ordinary Sheila, which is riding high in the New Zealand top 20, which is all the more meaningful given it is such a low-budget film. But most importantly, it is a film that knows its audience. 
We continue to support New Zealand films with our upcoming release schedule, where highlights will be Tiarapa Kahi's Herbs documentary, as well as The Stolen, starring Stan Walker, and we'll be promoting the Mark Hunt MMA documentary, Born to Fight. Later in the year, we'll be distributing Dorothy Sheffman's Vermilion, and further down the track, we're working on the New Zealand-China co-pro Beasts of Burden. It's a $20 million animated family film with local and international vo voice cast, which we believe will have quite a mass appeal. I must also make mention that part of this overall success story where we can all celebrate incredible New Zealand diversity on our screens is the role that the New Zealand Film Commission plays. Their support and the amazing people we have had the benefit of working with there over the years have been crucial in the distribution of New Zealand films. In addition to the New Zealand films, Rialto distribution cannot survive on solely handling local content. So we keep busy by distributing independent films, concerts, documentaries and art house gems. And these originate from all parts of the globe, are multi-award winners, multicultural, and form an incredible range of, and from an incredible range of talented individuals. Some of our partnerships include the Met Opera, National Theatre Live, and Universal Home Entertainment, to name a few. So, to give you an idea, we're looking for films which appeal to the older female demographic, 50 plus. Also comedy, thrillers and docos, Māori and Pacifica projects. I'm happy for anyone to drop me a line with a short outline of your new feature pitch, and I can give you my two cents worth if I think it's a goer or not from a local market perspective. Uh, you know, this could potentially save you a lot of time in the long run, given it usually takes a few years to get projects off the ground. But then again, none of us really know what's going to be the next big thing either. So the future is unwritten, or in your case, has been written at this very moment. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit long. I feel like I undersold myself now. Thank you, Kelly. I do, I think probably one of the most important questions from, for people here is what exactly you guys are looking for or maybe what you're not looking for. So it'd be really great, um, I know Kelly's just spoken to that, but maybe if we throw it back to um, Andrew, maybe would you like to talk to us about what for you guys, for you, what that case and then we'll work back. Um, we're open to pretty much any project really. I mean, the Madman catalogue's pretty eclectic if you look at what we've released, um, probably released 50 titles in the last year. A lot of them have only played in the festival, but anything from My Little Pony, the movie, to a Studio Ghibli film festival, to The Killing of a Sacred Deer. So we're open to any genre, really. I mean, we have our own, we have our strengths that we've developed over the years, like feature documentaries and upmarket art house product and Japanese animation, but we're not gonna shut the door on anyone just because they've got a genre that we don't usually deal with. I mean, if it's got a good team behind it and they've got a decent cast attached, then yeah, we'll keen to learn more. And when should the production team come to you with their concept idea or script? What, what part of the process do you like to enter in with them? Probably at least after there's kind of like first, at least a full script for the film. <coughs> Okay. And a producer attached, ideally. So fairly, quite early on, if you're talking about first draft. Yeah, we're keen to get involved fairly early on, so at least it's on our radar. Okay. So we can track the project. I mean, we might not come on board that early, but we, yeah, we, we'll track it through the through the process, and we generally come on board when it's being submitted to the film commission for the funding round, and they need a distributor attached. But sure. the more time you can give us, uh, I mean, we're pretty busy working on our existing releases. So, yeah, we're keen to know about films pretty early on. Great, thank you. And Tony, what about you? What are you looking for or not Similar. looking for? Similar, we're looking for to get involved early on in the process as well. Um, I, I think a lot of people don't realise what they're, who they're writing for. At the end of the day, for us, it comes down to dollars. So we want to make as much money as we can. And the audience is very limited. So we don't want R-rated films, as a rule, at Paramount Pictures. Um, in New Zealand, the films that work the best are comedies and nana films, like Kelly was saying, the 50-pluses, female-oriented films. That's, that's what makes the money here in New Zealand, and that's what we want. There's no real such thing as an all-persons film anymore or an all-people film. Um, 
the movie-going audience is fracturing and getting smaller and smaller. We're missing whole groups of people that just don't go to the movies anymore or only go when you get a Star Wars or a, or a Marvel film or something like that. And to be fair, that's probably not in this room right now. So we're reasonably specific about what we're looking for. We want something that will play provincially. Uh, New Zealand films typically play very well provincially. Um, so that's something to bear in mind as well. And, yeah, um, just it has to be good. That's always good as well. <laughs> Nigel, what about you? Uh, so I think we've made it uh, reasonably well known that we think there is a gap in the market for sort of 35-plus female skewed titles. Uh, I also agree with Kelly. I think anything that sits in that 50 to 55-plus demo is, um, is underserviced and underrepresented at the moment as well. So first and foremost, we're probably looking at that. But, you know, I guess we would look at anything that we believe has the potential to break out and deliver something really special. What we're ultimately looking for is something that people can't consume via any other medium. So coming to the cinemas and, and seeing something in a theatrical environment is something very special. So it's about recognising the unique property that um, may present itself. And that can be across multiple genres as well. So the key thing is, I think, um, to know the audience, as Tony said, that is absolutely vital. So, so at least know what you're pitching and who you're pitching it to. And from there, you can kind of uh, narrow it down where it's going to fit. Thank you. Kelly, what things um, do you think about when deciding to take a film for distribution? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, um, I think it's the quality of the pitch when it comes down to it and filmmakers having a bit of an understanding of the audience. I mean, you know, not everyone can specialise in that part because you want to make the film and that's hard enough as it is trying to get a film up in New Zealand, you know, really, really difficult. So if we can work as a team like a collaborative process, um, we like to come on early as well because we like to help shape the cut and the edit if we can, not to a point where we get involved in the artistic process but more the commercial process and advise the filmmakers on, you know, sort of fundamental pragmatic things like the number of screens and the type of audience and how we're going to get there and, you know, maybe we should look at certain points in the cut or the edit at a, at a point where you can still influence that from an audience perspective, maybe do some pickup shots and, and to add to the box office potential if you can. Um, I mean, that's kind of like a mini version of how Hollywood does it. And I, I don't see how that's any different to what we're doing here. And it's a, it is a real collaborative process. But I think, you know, in the very beginning, it's really identifying your project up front and um, thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, you know, why do I want to, make this, how successful can it be? Because films are very expensive to make and they take years of your life. So you want to make sure you're doing the right thing from the go-get, really. Um, but, you know, it's, um, it's interesting times we live in. So, um, you know, like I said just before, we, had, we put a lot of effort into Gary of the Pacific. It didn't really work theatrically. But that doesn't mean it's not a success. You know, I got a really big Netflix sale out of it. And it's like, no one really knows this. You know, they kind of, oh, I didn't do that one in the box office. But it's like, well, that box office set it up, did like 300 grand just under. But if we didn't do that, the Netflix sale probably would have been either A, non-existent, or B, very small. So we got this high-profile platform for it. And then it got a sales agent internationally. And then the filmmakers have got their career on the way. You know, there's a whole lot of positives to it. Um, and then this film we're doing now, like No Ordinary Sheila, Tiny film, super, super low budget. I've got no idea what, I can't remember how much they, they made it for, but, you know, it feels like maybe a couple of hundred grand, if that, maybe 150, you know, and you think, what? How do they do that? It's like, but they did it and they got into it. But what they do did have is a really beautiful audience film as well. But um, I'm hogging the microphone. Sorry that's, about that's that. It. Andrew, <laughs> what films do you think work in New Zealand? Um... And, are they, different from, the and, and are they different from Australia? That's the other question. Uh, generally, we over-index on kind of like British films and we under-index on American-style um, humour. We just have a different sensibility, I find. And we definitely over-index on documentaries and under-index on, on horrors. And we mostly deal in the, in the art house space and we can often put out a film and gross 30 40% of the Australian result for some of our films. Okay. Nigel, how many films would you have on your slate <laughs> at any one time? And I know it's probably tricky to say because you've also got the studio films coming in, but I thought it'd be quite interesting us from your perspective and then from the 
I noticed that you guys are split too, <laughs> from a studio and independent perspective. <laughs> uh, look, it does vary, and it really depends on the slate. And, and to give you an indication of, of how we operate, we're often planning out five years out, looking at what's coming five years down the track that we may already have acquired or may be looking to acquire or may be producing. So in any given year, we would average at least one film a month. Um, sometimes it can be more. It depends on output deals that you're attached to as well. So, you know, you can be as, as you can have half a dozen films, um, and one of those films might be more profitable than 12 films. But really, it does come down to the slate, the mix, and what's actually happening. And it tends to be um, to be moving in a cycle. This last year, we've we've struggled a wee bit. We've bought about eight or nine films to market. Um, aside from that, we've we've had some you know French content that's come through from Studio Canal, our home office, and that's really helped us. So that's pushed it up by um, about another 12 films. So it really depends. But um, next year, we'll be looking at, at you know anywhere between sort of 12 and 15 films plus some additional foreign content that comes through. So it really is variable, and it does depend on the flow and what's coming from an output perspective. Andrew, do you have a um, quota at Madman about how many New, New Zealand films you want to take on, or is it more random than that? Um, we'd love to take on pretty much every project that comes across our desk that we're into, but the reality is that there's only three of us in the office who work on theatrical plus the resourcing that we get out of Australia and our publicists and media agency, so we can only realistically take a few projects on each year, so we kind of have to... Yeah, there's a lot of projects that we turn down which we would love to work on, but we just only have the physical capacity to choose a half dozen films that come across. What about you, Kelly? Do you have a quota that you try and sit with? No, um, you know, it's we've got five New Zealand films on the slate for 2018 and probably two or three people that I'm talking to now seriously and made offers on. Whether those two or three films eventuate or not will go to, you know, another company or and or they may not necessarily get a release in that year. I mean, what's important for me and our company was similar to Andrew is that we don't have a huge resource and everyone's working really hard. And New Zealand films take about three or four times more work than an international film because you've got filmmakers to work with closely and it's their baby, so they want to get their films seen by as many people. So, and that's why we do it. So we're on the same page from the, from the start as well. So, you know, they're projects that you think, I think has got a market and we can make some money from. I mean, it's a lot of nuts and bolts distribution and, you know, we've got, we've got staff in Australia and Melbourne. We've got an office in Melbourne. We've got one here. Um, we've got a spotter's office in London looking at projects. You know, we're sort of our tentacles are spread around the globe, and we look at a lot of content. We've just finished AFM, which is the American film market, and we probably looked at, you know, I don't know, 120 projects. We bought one film. Um, we might buy another two or three or something from it. But you know, we're very selective as well. We don't just we don't put a lot of film content into the into the channel because we want to look after it as well. So um, a lot of work. But you know, when you get results and those, it's successful, it's uh, it all pays off. We don't always pick up films just like at theatrical release. Like there's been a few movies that we've picked up over the years um, which we didn't have anything to do with the theatrical release. Like The Ground We Won, we just picked that up to do the DVD and digital sales and um, TVOD and Three Wise Cousins. We did that just for the DVD deal. So we may not be able to always do theatrical or, we, or the filmmakers may want to do that themselves but they just don't have the expertise to or don't want to deal with every warehouse store in the country, so um, they'll come to us to do the DVD, so it's not always like an, an all-rights deal that we do. Okay. Um, Tony, we were talking before about Paramount and how there's been a, a shift for you in the last six months. Would you like just to talk to us a little bit more about that and what that sure. means for you in regards to content also coming from overseas? So for the last 10 years, we've been releasing Universal Pictures as well as Paramount Pictures in New Zealand. So we averaged about 32 or more films a year that we were releasing. And in the last 10 years, I think we've done about $550 million in box office. So we've kept very, very busy with that. We've done some New Zealand films as well. So Mr. Pip, we did Dean Spanley, Tracker, um, we also did The King's Speech when we released that. Uh, not a New Zealand film, but via Transmission, who was doing that with us at the time. 
And we are no longer releasing Universal Pictures as of the end of this year. So we have just moved into a new space where we want to start getting more involved in New Zealand films and projects and right from an early start as well. So we've started reading scripts. Um, we've already talked to a few people. We're looking at a director for a film at the moment. So it's something that we want to do more of. Uh, as Kelly and Andrew both said, it takes up a lot of time. So for us, it really wasn't on the table until sort of next year. Uh, so we have the time to spend on the films and the projects themselves now. So it's um, yeah something we're really trying hard to do. Nigel, just coming back to what you were saying before about having content that comes from your mothership office, why do you choose to engage in New Zealand films if you have that content there? I think first and foremost for us it's about diversity and being able to come to market with a diverse slate, something that's very different to what potentially your competitors are looking at. You know, the environment that we operate in now from a theatrical perspective is fiercely competitive. Um, to give you an example, the number of films that release each year has grown by 20-30% annually for the last five years. And I think on average you'll see at the moment we're looking at releasing as an industry about eight films a week which is quite significant when you think about the number of um, cinemas that are actually vying for product, the screen space. So for us, it's about being diverse and making sure that we've got a point of difference and can sell what we need to sell when we need to sell it to, um, to cater to the audience needs. Okay. I'd really like now to talk about MGs <laughs> um, because we, um, for us to get financing and to unlock the New Zealand Film Commission's funding, we need 10% market money, and often that's really helpful if you guys come in with an MG. I'm curious to know from each of you, actually, how um, you decide what the MG will be and, and how, you, how you come to that figure, or maybe not. Oh, sorry. Okay. And so an MG is a um, minimum um, guarantee um, that um, distributors can or cannot put in if they so choose. Um, and that often will contribute towards the financing of your project um, because as if you go to put in for funding to the New Zealand Film Commission, you do need 10% of um, money from the market. just can't all be what we call soft money or money from the government. So um, part of that funding comes from, can come from distributors. It's a very helpful thing um, for the producer. So I'm just curious to know how you go about... What sort of th numbers, how you come to your numbers and how you work that out? Kelly, what do you think? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a um, market reality to have minimum guarantees in place, which is like an advanced royalty against the um, rights that we're acquiring to look after on your behalf. So we represent those rights. Um, usually how I will do it, we've got a financial modelling system. We'll, put it, we'll run it through all the P&Ls. And you can, you know, you can do as P&Ls for Africa, basically. At the end of the day, you've got to go with your gut feeling. And it's an instinct as well as looking at the market attachments on it and what you think might work. And um, for me, the minimum guarantee is one component. And then the P&A, which we'll get to in a minute, I assume, prints and advertising costs, which is your release cost to release the film. That's a huge whack of money as well. So for me... I don't really differentiate between the two because it all comes from the same pot from my company. So if it's a slightly more modest MG and you spend a bit more on P&A or sometimes you, you might get into a bit of a competitive bidding situation with one or two other companies and sometimes the MGs can go sort of north where you want it to be. But if you believe in the project and a lot of the times I'll have back-to-back -back guarantees from companies like Netflix and Universal and others and TV companies to say, yep, we think the TV component of the film will be worth X or we think the SVOD amount will be worth X. And so you kind of take that and put it into your P&L spreadsheet. But at the end of the day, you know, we don't really know because you don't know how the film's going to come out. I mean, sometimes buying on script is very dangerous or risky because you don't know how the film's going to finish. Sometimes it's it's fantastic, you know, and you get a real surprise. It's like, ah, oh, the film's turned out better than I thought it was going to be, yay. And, um, you know, I'm so, I'm so glad I didn't pay much for that. Or <laughs> you get a film occasionally, oh, I was going to say occasionally, but <clears throat> sorry, quite a few times. Um, hasn't turned out so well for me. International films are probably more in particular. And, gee, you know, you've, you've basically committed to this huge amount of money on the MG, and you've given the or the sales agent a guarantee on the P&A. Um, 
I mean, I had the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo trilogy. I paid a million dollars for the rights for all three films, and I paid another million dollars for the P and A on it. And so you think, oh, that's a large amount of money. It better work. <laughs> we had to bring partners in, so we had financial partners with that. But the projects ended up grossing 22 million in Australasia for us, and it was the highest-grossing foreign-language DVD of all time in Australia. You know, it just—it was like heaven. You know, I—I I, called it—I called it the—I called it the girl who paid our bills for five years. And that's no joke, because as an independent distributor, I spent a lot of sleepless nights thinking, oh my God, how am I going to pay the salaries this week or next week? You know, where's the money coming from? It, it's, not, it's not plain sailing. So um, that's kind of a long-winded response. Sorry about that. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? What, what about NGs for you and how do you come to them? It's, it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, we're slightly different in that we have an acquisitions team based in Australia and me and Luke, who works in the office with me, we're kind of the first point of contact and we'll read the scripts and if we like it, we'll pass it on to Australia and make sure that they read it because they're the ones who are ultimately making the final kind of financial decision. I mean, we run similar like property profitability reports and we look at comparable titles as best as we can from what we've read. Like, what have these titles made theatrically? What have they made on DVD? What, have, what sort of TV sales have we made? And then based on that, we kind of work out what we can, what we can offer up to a certain level without taking on too much risk. But at, at the end of the day, it's still a leap of faith that you're <coughs> handing over a lot of money to, without having a finished film. So a lot can change over a couple of years. Sure. Tony, how about you? Oh, it's a very similar situation for us as well. We have a green light process that we have to go to. Uh, at the studio, there's a committee, um, green light committee. So we get scripts at our level. We read them. Um, we have to put them, you know, we have to list down what sort of money we think it's going to make. That's very important as far as it goes. Um, if we know that there's any actors or directors or anyone attached to it, that all goes off to Hollywood as well. And that's just a process that we go through. So we get to, to say whether we think it's a good idea or a bad idea. And, you know, we fought it off. Um, they get a lot of scripts over there. So realistically speaking, we might send them three out of all of the scripts every year that we see. Um, and it yeah, boils down to what sort of numbers we think that we can get out of the film. I mean, it'd be lovely to say that we're going to do it for art's sake and all that sort of stuff, but the studio doesn't really think too much about that unless they think it's going to win an Oscar. So, yeah. And Nigel, is it the same for you guys? Yeah, pretty much ditto what, what everybody else has said. You know, we've got a, uh, um, our own green light process that we go through too. It really comes down to the commercial viability of a project, and, and that really starts with your gut thinking about what comparison titles look like, what the box office could potentially look like, and then we, we almost work backwards and put the, the puzzle together that way. Um, but it is based purely on, on the commercial side of stuff, I think, and a lot of gut feel. Can I just carry yeah. that on? Yeah. This, this, you won't like this, but <laughs> not all films have MGs, okay? Just want a little bit of uh, market reality, um, but if you get a distributor, who's really into your project, who you believe in, you, you really get on well with, and you think, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this guy or woman a rock, you know, go, and, and we're gonna make this a success. You put the money into the, um, the release costs or the P&A costs, and you, you know, you go for it that way. So, um, you know, it's not all necessarily about the upfront, but I can, I can see your question, because it's about the funding um, equation and trying to have 10%? I, I thought it was like five. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> Minimum. But actually, that's a good segue into P&A spend. Um, when, when you have your budget, how, how do you go about working out what your prints and advertising spend um, will be? And does it have an, um, and, yeah, and does this have an impact? If you have an MG in the film, does it have an impact on the P&A spend? Yeah, definitely. It's, um, you know, you want to um, assess the project, read the script see what you think it can do in the box office and on the ancillary, you know, with the S-Fold and a little bit of DVD left these days. There's still some DVD left. It's, 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 it's going downhill quickly, but, um, you know, it's good news is, um, you know, Netflix, Amazon and a few others are coming up on the, on the S-Fold side. Um, and then you look at the, that and you look at the P&A on the script basis, or ideally if you can look at it as a finished film, but not a lot of projects you can pick up or acquire these days are finished films because it's so competitive usually, at least internationally. You know, you're having to bid on the script process and then you're giving a P&A commitment. So you see the finished film if you can, and then you sort of work out the target audience. Um, you know, I've been doing it so long and we used to spend quite a lot on P&A, then I realised 
you don't have to spend a hell of a lot for our types of films with our 50 plus audience to get the market. And some of these films are more successful in, in the second or third or fourth week of a release because the word of mouth fuels them. So especially with social media these days, you can do really good social media campaigns at pretty good pricing. Um, no Ordinary Sheila, that film we've got at the moment, it's, um, you know, we, we kind of pushed the boat out a bit and we did TV advertising, but we've got a brilliant marketing company. Um, I think it cost us like 15 grand. We got a $100,000 plus TV value, you know, for 15 second ads. It was, just, it was target marketed and um, sort of hit the spot, really. Okay. And what about for you, Nigel? P&A spend. Yeah, look, P&A is really interesting. I think what it comes down to ultimately is knowing your audience and knowing who that target audience is and whether it's a very small, narrow target audience, whether it's a bit broader. And from there, you can start building your base to understand what it costs to actually target that audience, where they're going to be consuming media and where you've got the best opportunity to actually get the reach and frequency you need to convert that to a paid bum on seat, because ultimately that's what it's all about. Um, but as Kelly said, you know, some films you know are, are reasonably niche and you can get away with with what we would term probably a slightly smaller um, minimum guarantee and also a smaller ad pub and then share in the upside. There are other films that obviously are a bit broader and they take a lot of money and a lot of time to get out to market. So it really does come back to the target audience, where the film's going to sit and how broad that audience is. I mean, from a filmmaker perspective, just adding to what Nigel said there, some ways you don't want to spend a lot on P&A. You want to be resourceful because the more you spend on the P&A, the way the model works with having distributors, the distributor has to recoup that money before you guys see anything. So the overages is what you see after we recoup our minimum guarantee and our P&A costs. We've had films before where you've had a bit of P&A bloat on them, you know, and you spend another 50 grand and you, and you look back at the result and you think, oh, I wish I hadn't spent that 50. Hindsight's a great thing. Um, certain films, particularly younger audience films, probably from these guys' perspective, you need to punch up in that first weekend and hit it hard to spend. So you've got to spend to get that young audience in. Whereas something like No Ordinary Sheila and other films, because they've got a word of mouth um, audience component, well, primarily that is their audience, they get off on word of mouth. So you want to keep the um, the advertising, drip-fed, you know, small advertisement, social media, lots of grassroots campaign, and keep it really tight. And that was our brief for that film because we wanted to return, uh, we wanted to get the filmmakers a return. So the filmmakers on this film, they've basically funded it themselves. Film Commission came with finishing funds, and Leanne might correct me about this because I don't know too much about the detail. Um, so they kind of feel like, they need to get their money back. And so all along the way, the whole strategy has been how are we going to do that in the most resourceful way? But at the same side, you need to get a result as well. Like Nigel was saying, it's brutal out there. You know, you put a film out and we're in week three with Sheila at the moment and we've just withstood four or five similar audience films coming at us with quite big P&A spins and we've held in there, you know. And that horrible Harvey Weinstein film, Tulip Fever, came in and they just died. Yes! <laughs> you know, so we thought, oh my God, it's got Judy Dench in it. Ah, it's going to, you know, any film with a dame in it's going to hit the target audience like you wouldn't believe. It's going to kill out. It's going to kill us. So what do we do? And so we got ready to sort of, you know, we we're batting down the hatches and, oh my God, it's opening today and we're going to spend some more money. And we're like, no, nah, no. Nah. Word of mouth's amazing on this film. We're just going to hold our nerve. We're going to put a small ads in and didn't spend a lot, and it's working. So, you know, it's great when it works. Andrew, what about you? When you've got the studios that have, can afford to do bigger P&A spends, what do you do? What does Mad, Mad, Mad Men do to be able to get the film out there in an interesting and novel well, way? We're in a pretty similar boat to Rialto in that we release a lot of similar kind of films that are aimed at a upmarket art house audience that don't often require, like, huge P&A spends and they will sit around for a long time. The other type of film that we release, which is quite profitable for us, is Japanese animation, and they kind of follow a completely different release pattern. We'll, they'll only be out in cinemas for a weekend, maybe two weekends. We only advertise it on Facebook. We spend a tiny amount, and some of them can gross, like your name, grossed over 200000 at the box office, but <laughs> there's pretty high returns on those. Um, the benefit of like New Zealand films, is that we also get access to distribution grants from the Film Commission, which can help with the P&A spend. So like, they'll help with the VPF fees, which can cost a fortune. 
and God bless the film commission. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the box office reporting, and they'll pay a percentage of the PNA as well, which which helps kind of um, compete with some of the other films out there. Tony, how do you market a film? How do you get people to be aware of your film? Well, we have a pretty standard formula. So we work out, first of all, you know, as we say, we go backwards. We start out how much money we think the film is going to uh, make. So that's where we start. And then we can work backwards and work out a percentage of the money we're going to spend on prints, on advertising and everything else. Um, for a New Zealand film, we always end up spending more, to be perfectly honest, um, because we're having to make all our own materials locally. So posters we make locally, trailers we make locally, so the flyers and everything else. Um, and then once again, it depends. As Kelly said, he's quite right. If we're releasing a film aimed at teenagers or young adults, then we go out with a big spend on opening weekend because we know that opening weekend is where all the money is. It's about 80% of the box office potentially at the opening weekend and then it drops off from there. Um, however, with the New Zealand films, that they play a lot slower, so people have to discover them. So even though I think for Mr. Pip we spent around, I want to say $350,000, $400,000 on the film, uh, we made just over a million dollars on the film in New Zealand. So that's the sort of money that we end up spending. Um, we won't make our money back off that one either, but as Kelly says, there's always the other markets downstream which will pick up the money. So the more money we make theatrically, the better off it is downstream for everybody else. But we generally have a formula that we deal with and then our marketing people will split up the money they've got and we'll aim for, you know, newspaper advertising or we'll aim for flyers or TV or whatever. Do you ever change your plan? If the film is, do you ever change your plan under any circumstances? Like if the film is doing well or not doing as well as you are hoping, do you change the campaign in some way? No, we're pretty much committed. So as Nigel said, we're working years in advance. And so when you're booking media and everything like that, you've booked it six months in advance. So if we know the film's going to get an M rating, we're targeting it an M, M audience. If it's a PG rating, we're targeting a PG audience. And that will vary where we're placing TV spots, where we're playing it, you know, whether we've got large outdoor formats, all sorts of different things like that. But they're all booked six months in advance. So, you know, when we release a film, we're backing it. We're not, you know, ready for it to fail. We're ready for it to succeed. And what about you, Andrew, from an independent perspective? Uh, well, because we're, well, we have the advantage or some, sometimes it's advantage, sometimes it's a disadvantage, but we might be releasing a film that's opening at different times in different territories so we can see how it's opened overseas and if it's, and if we were preparing to spend so much money in it and it's bombed overseas, then we'll kind of Pull back. pay back the P&A and vice versa, if it's done really well, we'll kind of put more money behind it. And we we also usually put a contingency spend uh, where if it's performing well in opening opening week, we've got money to push it along in week two and week three. Okay. Um, Nigel, do you do much um, in the research and discovering and finding out what audiences are doing with the film that you've put out? Um, talk about research and sort of is there anything that you do around that space? Yeah, look, we do a lot of research um, and quite regularly. So we're informed about market, market variables, what's happening in the market. We consumers and the target audience that we're looking at are actually consuming media and what they're taking from that. So we do that um, on, on a sort of ongoing basis and we use that for the basis of a lot of what we term that green light process when we're looking at trying to build the MG and potentially what an ad pub might look like. But post that, we also look at um, exit polls and strategy to, to determine what audiences are responding to and what they're not. And we take that and use that. Um, in most cases, we would take that and, and use that to manipulate campaigns and tweak campaigns if we have an opportunity to do that. Uh, so we are probably a wee bit different to some of the other guys where we will react to stuff once we see it happening in market and either change tack, put more money into, I don't know, whether it may be press or some other media channel. Um, but just one of the other things I wanted to reiterate there was with some of these Coke and popcorn films, as Tony says, you really can live and die by your opening weekend. And that opening weekend is four days. The one thing with New Zealand films, regardless of what genre they are, is that the grassroots element that not only the distributor but also the producer and everybody else that's involved get involved in here is really important. It's absolutely key and it can add a significant amount of money and value that you probably can't even buy, to be honest. So it's always important just to remember that grassroots is, is a real key thing for getting New Zealand films into market and successfully getting them to market to let them grow and nurture. I think it's, Kelly, could you maybe talk about that a little bit more as well, about the role of the producer and the filmmakers and the filmmaking team in helping or 
it doesn't become painful to a point. When, how, what's, what's helpful to you for that filmmaking team? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, using that example we just had up on the screen before the film we've got at the moment, No Ordinary Sheila, the big key there were the um, producer and director doing as many Q&As as they could muster and we could get them to do without driving them crazy and killing them. <clears throat> and um, because of what it does, it's, it really sets up the tone of the film and the trajectory of how we can get this into the marketplace because those Q&As have become really valuable for us. And that's changed over the last few years where it's like, you know, event screenings, alternative content screenings, something special, something point of difference, point of difference is really... Um, eleva elevates the value for the cinema owner because there's so much content coming out all the time. The cinema owner's thinking, you know, this film's out on a hundred screens. I've got, you know, I've got three, four cinemas and eight kilometres or five kilometre radius. Everyone's screening the same film. What's my point of difference? And so if you can offer them something like Q&A with local talent involved, they, they grab it, you know. And those Q&As are really special as well because you're out there talking to the audience and they're really keen, you know, they really want to meet you, they want to ask questions, they're interested in the film, they're interested in the process. And you can usually, from a cinema point of view, you can maybe charge a little bit more, and then you can bank those screenings and put them into the box office, and then they also set up word of mouth as well. So we did, we did so many of those Q&A screenings with Sheila, and then the filmmakers worked on the grassroots campaign with us, going to all sorts of retirement homes and... Um, we went to all sorts of um, you know, <clears throat> outdoor adventure places and nature. You know, we just did so much grassroots work, huge amount of work, but everyone's on the same page and wants to do it and needs to do it. And then the film kind of gets a, its toe in the market and then you start building around that with layers of your television advertising, in this case, you know, press advertising, social media, and just put everything into that and just hope like hell it's raining that weekend and <laughs> they come to the movies. And we've had a lot of rain, so we were, we were kind of lucky, you know. Actually, the best one for me, I was like, when I look out in the morning, and this is terrible, I, I'm still like, I used to be really bad, particularly as a cinema owner, is you look out and you think, hmm, sort of smell the air, and it's light drizzle. Light drizzle is the best. Not heavy rain, not light, just light drizzle. And that's like, we're, look, these, we're all smiling because we all yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, ditto. <laughs> It gets them Absolutely out. Absolutely, you know? today. Never asked us what weather we wanted a long weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you don't want to have a film opening when the All Blacks are playing either. So. <laughs> um, I'm aware that we have to be out of here at quarter past seven. I have a list of questions, but I'll just save mine for, for drinks later on. But I'd like to open up the floor if anyone has any questions that they might like to ask our panel. Yes. Um, you guys talk quite a bit about getting involved sort of at the script stage and sort of quite early on. I'm wondering how you guys feel about sort of producers or filmmakers coming to you with completed projects, um, whether that's seen as a good thing for you guys or whether you prefer to be involved earlier and be able to sort of shape the project a little bit for your companies. Tony, would you like to answer that? Um, it depends on what you mean by a completed project. <laughs> if it's filmed, then we'll take a look at it every time. But if it's still a script... Um, I, I Oh, happy to have a look. Always happy to have a look at that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Um, as far as script-wise goes, the sooner the better. Um, you know, we get through 14 iterations of scripts. So, you know, if you don't have to change it 14 times and we get in there first. And it's not like we're trying to change it. We're just trying to make it more commercial. So, as I say, you know, we have a look at a lot of scripts and then immediately, you know, the opening scene is someone being raped and killed and then their head hung up on a pike. And we're like, well, that's pretty much it. One page and you're done. <laughs> um, and that's how easy it is. You know, literally a lot of people at the studio level are reading, you know, 10, 20 scripts a day and they literally read 10 or 15 pages and that's it. That's, that's your, your chance to get them to have a look at it. So, yeah, um, yeah but always happy to look at finished products as well. Any other questions? Yes. Um, you mentioned that you're happy to look at scripts um, when we've got a script, but to get to the script stage, we've already gone through maybe a thousand hours of writing the script plus the de development. Um, we've also chosen, we've actually paid for the rights to a writer, a published writer. Is there any possibility of writing to you beforehand and asking for expressions of interest as opposed to actually pre-sales? Yeah. So we've got, for example, five titles and we're wondering which one to write a script about, and you say, 
Or forget those three, but we might consider that one, and then we go away and get writing. Is that a possibility? Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a very clever, pragmatic approach from where I sit. It's, um, you know, um, you could save yourself a lot of time and money, you know. You, you know, you could take what we say and, and take it with a grain of salt or you might think, yeah, you know, you disseminate the information and go away with what, how you want to deal with it. But, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and we see a lot of movies, you know. I mean, I cover five different film markets every year internationally and each film market I'm covering probably 200 films. At the Cannes Film Festival, which is one film market a year, there's 3,000 films screening there, or 1,800. You know, there's some phenomenal number. And you think to yourself, how do these get made? But there's government funding agencies and all sorts of different schemes all around the world, and they, they pump it all, and everyone wants to be at the Cannes Film Festival. And then you come to us, we're one distributor in one territory of the world, and most distributors, independent distributors, are the same. We can only afford to buy 10 or 12 films a year or 15, you know. So the, the market is flooded and saturated. So the more you can do up front, to talk to people and not just us, you know. There's, the Film Commission have an incredible development facility there and resource, you know, incredible people working there who know the market, who would just go, yep, or no, or, you know, it's some good ideas and maybe, you know, there's, there's a lot of different people in the industry who can, who can give advice as well. So, yeah. And we love giving advice. We like talking about movies. <laughs> Tony likes having a few beers and giving a bit of advice. Actually, just on that note, I was going to say... Don't be afraid to reach out to distributors at, at whatever stage you're at. And that doesn't mean I want 100 emails tomorrow morning from everyone in the office. But, um, you know, essentially we're there to provide information. You know, that, that's what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. So if you have got a treatment or you have got an idea or a concept or five of them, feel free to drop us a note. We may not get back to you straight away, but it is the sort of stuff we want to hear about. So, um, yeah, don't feel, don't feel um, scared when Night, you reach out. Studio can also doing their development um, slate, is that still happening? Yep, we are. We're working on that at the moment. Um, there's a couple of projects we've got that we're um, kind of pushing through now and we've got a couple that we've got our eye on. So, um, you know, again, it comes back to that grassroots stuff and, and really getting to us as early as possible with treatments, with ideas, with concepts, scripts, whatever stage you're at, we, we are keen to hear about it. Okay, are there any other questions? <laughs> Sorry, I can't... Yeah. Um, from your perspective... Uh, to get a meeting, what would you like to see from the perspective filmmaker? For that filmmaker to get a meeting, would you actually have a sit-down, not just an email, but just have a sit-down? Would you like to have a complete script? A producer attached? I mean, what, I mean, what would it take to get a meeting? Andrew, this one's yours. <laughs> <laughs> Gem like generally a producer and a finished script, or at least like first, second draft. Tony, any, anything you want to add to that? Same. Uh, we'd like to see a script. Yeah, go for it, Cal. I'm a little different. I would, yeah, I, I get all that, you know, but to me, one paragraph. If you can pitch your film to me in one paragraph, because that's a really hard thing to put a pitch in a paragraph, as you know, as a writer, or one page. And a lot of people ring me up or email me, oh, you really need to have a meeting. And I, I'm pretty busy as well, you know, running five different companies at the same time. All I want to know is what's it about? You know, just, just give me the pitch. And, you, you know, you'll get that wherever you go. So you've got to get past us and you'll find exactly the same thing when you go to LA or wherever and try and get through to these people over there. They're all super busy and they've got, you know, 5,000 people coming at them like you every day. So it's just trying to get your head. It sounds brutal and it is brutal, but it's kind of good to know this. And, and, and then you can start honing your pitch down. And once you've done a few pitches, it's quite, you know, you sort of get into a bit of a role and you kind of see that the executive you're speaking to keeps the interest going, because most of them have got ADHD, <laughs> and they last about 10 seconds, and you can see them waning, you know, they, when they start losing interest and looking at their, you know, I was going to say blackberries, but their, <laughs> I, you know, their phones and stuff, you think, oh, shit, we've lost them. And then you go on to the next pitch, and then they, oh, that's a good idea. You know, you sort of get their interest going. So, I mean, I, the shorter the better for me. Sorry, just to follow up that question, sorry, just a little bit follow-up. If you were to um, be sent a, like, a teaser, Trailer. Let's say the script is completed and um, we create a teaser trailer for you to watch. Um, would you watch it? Yeah. I, when you say teaser, you're talking like a 30 second to two minute type thing. 30 seconds to a minute. Yeah, I think so that's. We go out of yep. To get sort of the idea of the film across. Yeah. 
I mean, some of us, I think, would struggle. I mean, I understand what you're saying about having a paragraph to your pitch, but I think there's quite a few people in the room that that, that, that would struggle with that idea. There's a, a little bit of stress to know that there's a limited number of distributors, and you better not fuck up to the six that you're going to send that paragraph to. So you really want to make sure that you nail it. So if you, the best way you can um, get your idea across is by providing a trailer. Is that going to be in favor of the... Oh. You know, it's a good question because what I see when other people pitch to me the same sort of situation, say it's a film market like AFM or Cannes or Berlin or Toronto, the sales agent will send us a 30-second um, teaser or a one-minute and they'll do a one-paragraph pitch and they'll have the poster image. And that'll be quite advanced. So the more advanced you can get that we think's commercial, the more interest we've got. And it's interesting because a lot of the sales agents most of the time, from my perspective anyway, they're not good at putting this together. So the, so the projects which are quite well advanced in terms of the poster image, you know, small image, the pitch and the trailer, are going to get the most eyeballs. And because, you know, I'd say pretty much all, every single time we buy a film, we never use the sales agent's marketing materials because they don't really understand the domestic market. You know, they think, they, they, they have it supplied to them from the filmmaker, and that's a really interesting concept because sometimes it can work in certain markets, whereas other markets, say New Zealand, you know, we like certain other things. So we're always trying to adapt it to get the best result out of the market. I think we've got time for just one more question. Does anyone else have any other questions? Yes. Uh, film festivals, what, how do you see the influence on your role as distributors? Um, film being at a film festival or founded a film festival or... Yeah, do, do, do they, re they relate to your, your role, your job, or are they kind of irrelevant? So, what was the question again? Film festivals, how do they relate to your role as a distributor? Um, if a film is played at a festival or done well, does it make a difference or not? Well, yeah, it's definitely a selling point for the film. Um, we love festivals. I mean, we have a guy whose job is just to play, place films in festivals. And we usually have about anywhere from 15 to 30 movies playing every year in the International Film Festival. So, yeah, it's definitely going to get us interested if you've been selected for an international festival. Is that the same for you, Tony? It's a little bit different for us. We've already probably bought the film and we're placing it in festivals uh, in hopes of awards contention. So that's a little bit different from my perspective. Um, we only ever have sort of one or two films playing in a film festival and we're generally opening, aiming for opening night or closing night or something along those lines. So probably more Andrew and Kelly's. Uh, deal. I can add to it just briefly. Um, some massive major markets for world sales and your career. Uh, Sundance Film Festival, Berlin Film Festival, and the Toronto Film Festivals, they're complete and utter film festival environments. But what they also are, are where all the big US distributors and the worldwide distributors descend to see that film for the first time. Incredibly nerve-wracking from your perspective. You know, you, just, you probably don't want to be there. Um, but it's where your career can make or break. You know, you can see a film which can break out there and be discovered and then Focus Features or Paramount or whoever can buy the worldwide rights and you're off. You know, your career's on the way. Conversely, <clears throat> it might not work so well and the distributors might say, you know, walk out after 20 minutes. So that distributor walk is nerve-wracking beyond belief when you see from filmmakers' perspectives. But, yeah, they're hugely valuable. I mean, absolutely valuable. Okay, I think we'll finish up there because we have to leave the premises. But thank you so much, Nigel. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Tony. The talk series is proudly supported by the New Zealand Film Commission, Foundation North, Images and Sound, and White Studios. Music for the podcast was provided by Poddington Bear. And voiceover is Lucy Wigmore. <laughs>